what Keep Kids Alive is all about. It's all about preserving relationships. We all come home to somebody, somebody comes home to us. We want those relationships to be preserved. Welcome to the Keep Kids Alive podcast. I'm Marjorie Sturgeon, a producer helping to kick things off. And I'm going to introduce you to our host, Tom Everson. He's the founder and executive director of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. It's the people that I've met along the way that really uh, keep my passion, you know, going and flowing. They're the ones Tom will have on this show every month to share their inspiring stories. Think of the last time you drove to the store, walked the dog down the street, or rode your bike to the park. On an average day in America, over 100 people die in traffic incidents. Those are our loved ones in our communities. Over 20 years ago, Tom had an idea and created the template to preserve those lives that would eventually become a safety awareness campaign practiced nationwide and overseas. Here's his story. The origin story of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, uh, it's a little lengthy. Uh, my wife, Wendy, and I, we have uh, four kids and they were between four and 10 years of age back in the summer of 1998. And uh, we were simply concerned about the speed of traffic on the street in front of our own home. Dutifully, I contacted uh, Public Works here in the city of Omaha, where we're based, and uh, asked about how do we get a speed bump? Uh, that seems to be uh, a lot of people's reaction when they're concerned about speed on their street is if we get a speed bump, somehow that could solve all the problems. Anyway, I, I uh, received a packet and started reading through what the requirements were for getting a speed bump. And I realized a couple of paragraphs in that uh, it was not going to be a suitable solution for our street. Uh, the reason being is that we live on a hill. And uh, if you put a speed bump on a hill and a speeding car hits that, it's more likely to become airborne. And then you've got a greater problem than you started out with. Bigger problem, definitely. So anyway, realizing that that was not going to be an option for our uh, street, I had no intention of uh, starting a nonprofit. Uh, that was the furthest thing from my mind. But I'm a runner, and uh, that's important to this story. In late July of 98, I was uh, out running early one morning, probably about 5.30, 5.45 in the morning, and uh, I was rounding uh, 120th and center, uh, just coming around the curb there, and uh, uh, the phrase, keep kids alive, drive 25, literally popped in my head, and I just kind of mulled it over on the rest of my run, because my thought was, is if, uh, if we could just get people to slow down and observe the posted speed limit, uh, the whole environment would change on and along roadways in not only our neighborhood, but probably other neighborhoods as well. So, uh, you know, when I finished my run, uh, I woke up Wendy and said, keep kids alive, drive 25. I said, I think I can start a national traffic safety campaign. And, uh, you know, Wendy, she, she made the better decision that morning. She said, well, you know, whatever you want to do, uh, I'm going back to sleep <laughs> because, uh, it's not as if in the next day or two, this was all going to come to fruition and all, but, uh, with her blessing of whatever you want to do, uh, I, I went out and, uh, found a graphic, uh, artist who designed our logo for keep kids alive, drive 25. And uh, one of the first groups that I presented that to was to the Omaha Police Department. That's where I got my first bit of data okay. uh, because uh, at that meeting, uh, they let me know that speeding was a number one complaint of neighborhoods throughout the city of Omaha. And they sure. said there would never be a bad time to do a traffic safety education campaign uh, on neighborhood speeding. And then I think the woman who I talked to, Judy Johns, at that meeting, she said, uh, it doesn't matter if it takes you two weeks, two months or two years, there's never going to be a bad time. So I figure armed with that first tidbit of, uh, of data, uh, I figure, well, let's let's see what we can do. But another uh, another thing that came out of that meeting was um, the lieutenant for crime prevention. Uh, he suggested that we put our logo on a yard sign. And uh, he thought, well, that'd be great. You know, local grocery stores could sell them and people will buy them and put them in their yards and, and it'll help get the message out. 
Now, I'll own to being a little bit of a skeptic because uh, seven years prior to starting Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, I uh, worked at uh, Father Flanagan's Boys Town, which is a residential facility for high-risk kids and out-of-home placement. And kind of one of the rules at Boys Town was that if you can't prove that it works, then you don't do it. If you can't move the behavioral needle from negative to positive, then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. So kind of armed with that mindset, uh, just because the suggestion came of uh, doing the yard signs, uh, that's not what I went out and did. It's like, I'm not going to get a bunch of yard signs made, but I did have one made and I put it in our yard and armed with no budget at all. I, I did a, a research project and what I did was an observational uh, study. Uh, and what I was looking for is when uh, drivers would go by the sign in our yard, I was looking for brake lights. That's a behavior, you know, when people step on their brakes. And so over a 20-month period, sometimes I'd be out playing with our kids. Sometimes I'd be in the living room looking out the front window because positioning is really important. I mean, being physically present can actually influence how people behave. And so it was important for people not to see me as much as it might've been for them to see me. Uh, not that I was waving at them or anything. All I was doing was looking for brake lights and keeping count. But over a 20 month period, consistently over 75% of drivers were braking when they went by the yard sign. And during that time, the uh, police department did a speed study in our neighborhood so that we actually had that data to work with as well. Well, that's interesting. What'd they find out? In our neighborhood, the uh, average speed was 31 miles an hour in a 25 zone. And a lot of people don't get too nervous about this. Like it's only six miles over the speed limit. But the slowest speed they recorded was 17 and the highest was 57. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you can see the disparity in speeds, uh, right. you know, to get to that 31, it's all over the place. And also, anyway, uh, Wendy and I, we actually took that data and we made up a little data sheet. And we started walking our neighborhood and knocking on doors. And we probably went to about 160 houses just to get feedback from our neighbors about, did they think that a yard sign campaign would be something that they'd want to participate in? And only two of those people that we um, visited with were just out and out negative. Like you can never change people's behavior. This will never work and everything. And I kind of look at a lot of these things from a parenting perspective uh, sometimes is that, okay, if 158 out of 160 interactions went well with our kids, I would be delighted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to claim that <laughs> we have that kind of success rate, but it was just good to hear positive feedback. One of the people I met along the way uh, lived a couple blocks from us. And when he opened his door, he just said, well, I know who you are. And I wasn't quite sure what he meant or what he was going to do, how he's going to respond. But the next thing he said, he says, you're that guy with the sign in your yard. He said, oh. every time I drive by your house, I put my brakes on. And, you know, it was a good illustration. It's a good anecdote in terms of uh, recognizing that uh, Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 on the neighborhood level. It's simply about uh, reminding yeah. ourselves of uh, the need to slow down and pay attention to what's going on around us. So, you know, based on, on that feedback, we uh, actually started to produce some yard signs and uh, we had those out around our neighborhood. But uh, a real key moment for us was in uh, uh, 1999 when we were yet less than a year old. But the city of Oceanside, California, they uh, adopted us to do a uh, pilot project, uh, yard sign campaign in their city. And Oceanside's a city of about 160,000 in North San Diego County. And uh, they had done a study and found that one neighborhood had the highest uh, verifiable incidence of speeding in their city. People on average were driving 38 miles an hour in a 25 zone. And, you know, this is a neighborhood that had a school in it and all of this. So they decided that they would try an experiment and they would recruit uh, residents to post uh, yard signs voluntarily uh, in their yard uh, for a period of three weeks. And then they would pick up the signs and let it be fallow. And so they did some pre-readings and then they did some post-readings. And in their post-readings after this three-week fallow period, uh, they found that the average speeds were 32 miles an hour versus 38 starting out. 
So statistically, it was significant because it was uh, a 16% reduction in average speed uh, without writing tickets or anything like that. It was just seeing how it all went. So now the city of Oceanside has legitimate data. What do they do with it? So what happened out of that is that Oceanside decided to do adopt Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 as what I would call a level one response. Uh, when people start complaining about speed, then instead of uh, coming out and it's like, okay, we need to put in a speed bump or we need to re-engineer the street or we need to write lots of tickets. It was looking it, it the level one response. And this really is at the heart of what keep kids alive is all about is let's engage the residents because we're the solution to the problems we cause. I mean, we're the ones who speed, we're the ones who run stop signs. We're the ones who won't put our cell phones down. We're the ones who tailgate. We, I mean, all of these behaviors we engage in. And so, you know, the best person to solve a problem is the person who created it in the first place Sure. and all. And so it really is about community engagement. Well, later in uh, 1999, we had a, uh, another experiment uh, that occurred in a city called Oro Valley, Arizona, which is a city of about 60,000 just north of Tucson. In June of, of uh, 1999, I got an email from a retired traffic engineer in California. And in his email, he said, well, you probably you know, get a lot of feedback from uh, traffic engineers about how you can't post these signs on, on the uh, public right-of-way and things like that. And it's like, Yes, that was true. Yeah. I had heard of pl- I had heard plenty of that from traffic engineers, and I had never met a traffic engineer before I started oh. this. But I got I was getting to know some. But um, he said, "Here's a way around it." He says, "You know, we've got an awful lot of communities that have uh, uniform trash collection, where everybody's got the same kind of trash can that's issued either through the city or through the." Uh, the trash hauler. Yeah. And if you put uh, if you put your logo as a decal on the sides of those, then people could put it out on trash day. So whenever a new idea comes in, like I didn't go out and get trash can decals. I just sent the uh, I just sent it out via our e-list to see if there were any takers. You know, anybody thought it's a good idea. Well, I didn't hear anything back until August. Uh, this was June when this uh, when I had the first communication with this traffic engineer. But in August, I got a call uh, one morning from uh, Officer Mike Stevenson of the Oro Valley Police Department. Uh-huh. And Mike had one question for me. He said, how much is a trash can decal? I said, I have no idea. I mean, I didn't know who made them. I didn't have any clue. And he says, well, I need to know by tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, why? Well, even he had not contacted me to say they were interested, but what he had done is he had taken the idea and he had mobilized his community over the summer such that uh, they had neighborhood groups involved, schools involved, uh, the trash hauler was involved, uh, got a grant through the uh, Tucson Electric Company to cover the cost of decals wow. and had mobilized the Boy Scouts to do a community service project where they'd go up and down the streets on trash day and uniformly put the decals on the trash cans. Wow. And they had already done a uh, pre-study of uh, speeds as well. So I, I did find out in the next 24 hours how much a trash can decal costs. And they uh, they ended up decaling uh, trash cans in uh, uh, neighborhoods throughout their community. And they did a post-study. In their pre-study, they had a uh, 29 mile an hour average speed. And, but in the post study, it was down to 24 and a half miles an hour. People on average were driving slower than the posted speed limit without any tickets being issued, without any streets being re-engineered. It was simply by engaging the community as a whole in the campaign to make it happen. Now that grew into what I've uh, ended up um, calling uh, America's trash talks to keep kids alive. And so we've had communities around the country and neighborhoods that have initiated America's trash talks okay. uh, to, to, because what it does is it helps to engage the whole neighborhood yeah. in sending out the message. And even though it's not out every day, that's kind of the genius of it is that it doesn't become old and stale because right. it just keeps coming back 
And then as it rotates from neighborhood to neighborhood, people see it in neighborhoods throughout their city as well. What amazes me about that origin story too is you're talking 1998, 1999, and that's pre-major social media. You know, there is web presence, but I mean, how did this community in California and this community in Arizona, like (laughs) find you? Well, uh, you know, this is a, uh, this is really a pre 9-11 phenomena. I mean, and, and, uh, you know, saying 9-11, it punctuates uh, our lives in a lot of ways, but, you know, prior to 9-11, there was a, uh, a site up on the internet Mm -hmm. that I found (laughs) that allowed you to connect with every municipality in the country that had a municipal oh, website. Okay. And so, because we had no budget at all right. when we started this. So everything had to be done on the cheap. And so when I found this uh, resource, what I did is uh, I actually started in California and I, and I got on the municipal websites and I would email the mayor, the police chief, the public works director, and let them know what we were working to do. Wow. And I started in California simply because they had more municipal websites than anybody. So okay. I figured, well, I might as well start where there's a heavy concentration. Sure. And lo and behold, uh, some of these folks started contacting me. Wow. Like the people from the city of Oceanside. And because uh, another city in California, uh, Danville, California, which is just south of San Francisco, uh, they were the first city in the country that utilized uh, Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 street signage as part of their uh, traffic calming initiatives in their neighborhoods. And that was in January of, of uh, 1999. We were only like four months old Wow! and all. And, uh, but because of those kind of connections, we're able to um, begin to engage communities. And so, you know, the first part of, uh, you know, the first year or two that uh, I was working on this, I mean, I was on that site every day and I went through all 50 states and I contacted every single, you know, mayor, some city councilors, uh, you know, police chiefs and uh, public works directors and communities in every single state and every single city that had a link on that website. And so that really helped us to begin to connect uh, with people who were interested in, uh, in what we were doing. And it also let me know that the concern that I had about what was happening on the street in front of my own home was the same concern that people have everywhere. It's universal. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, that was a, a connection and all because, uh, I mean, for example, one of the cities that uh, we connected with through a traffic sergeant in Bolingbrook, Illinois, uh, he actually wrote a grant uh, to the state and got some uh, state grant funding so they could initiate our campaign in Bolingbrook. And one of the things that they, um, uh, they designated themselves as the first city in Illinois to adopt Keep Kids Alive Drive 25. And, you know, for them, that was kind of a badge for their community and, and uh, something that really kind of brought a source of local pride. Mm-hmm. And that community ended up, even their school bus company, they actually bought decals to put on the back of the school buses sure. so that uh, they could get that message out while they were picking up and dropping off kids from school. Well, and that's an important scenario even in itself. Cause I mean, how often do we hear on the news of people driving around school buses? Mm-hmm. That's another important reminder. You know, and, and just speaking of school buses, uh, one of the initiatives that has uh, grown out, we've had probably 10 initiatives that have grown out of our initial focus on uh, neighborhood traffic safety and the speed limit in, in residential zones which uh, for those of you listening, uh, some of you may be in states where you know that the uh, mandate, the state mandate for the speed limit in residential zones is 25. In uh, many states, that mandate is 30 miles an hour. And so just to give an illustration of uh, a community that we worked with starting in 2003 was in uh, Mesquite, uh, Texas. In Texas, uh, the state mandate is 30 miles an hour in residential zones. And uh, there was a young boy named Kyle, Kyle Foster, uh, and his mom and I are still connected to this day. But uh, Kyle was hit and died as a result of his injuries on Halloween night of 2003. Mm -hmm. And uh, his mom, Barb, uh, contacted me probably right around Thanksgiving. I mean, it was a very brief time after Kyle's death. 
but she had found our website and uh, wanted to get involved. And uh, what evolved out of that uh, contact from Barb in 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 Texas, you can a municipality can lower the residential speed limit from thirty to twenty five or even twenty. But uh, at that time, you had to do a traffic engineering study on every single street that you wanted to lower the speed limit on. So, for example, in Mesquite, it would have cost about fourteen million dollars to do those studies. Ooh. So, so you know, from a use of tax dollars, that's just not going to happen. No, it's just not. But um, the uh, state representative uh, for the state house for their district stepped in and she wrote a bill, and I just call it Kyle's Law, but she wrote a bill and introduced it that would just take that caveat out of having to do all of these traffic engineering studies. It's what I would call common sense legislation. But I was invited down uh, in February of 2005. They asked me to come down and testify on behalf of the bill. Uh, when it was in uh, committee in the state house in the transportation committee, you know, again, it's one of those things. I mean, they couldn't cover my costs or anything because then it's like, oh, you're trying to influence the person who's going to testify. And also, uh, you know, we still didn't, we still weren't, uh, you know, financially solvent at that point, I would say, but, uh, but I figured, well, you know, I knew, um, I knew Kyle's family. I I figured this is something I just have to do. So we put on the credit card and go down there. But I, I, I created just a one page sheet and I guess I'm really into one page, you know, information sheets don't want to overwhelm people. But one of the thing, one of the pieces of uh, data that I had come across from the uh, Federal Highway Administration was a uh, 1999 study on uh, police reported accidents. And I'll just do a little sidebar here because I'm really not fond of the word accidents because mm-hmm. 94% of um uh, traffic fatalities are the result of specific behaviors that people engage in. Right. So uh, to use the word accident is kind of excuse the behaviors, yeah. you know, whether it's drunk driving or speeding or being on a cell phone or whatever it might be. So, um, but anyway, at that time, accident was the, <laughs> the word. But it was a study done on police reported accidents that showed that the pedestrian death rate in 25 mile an hour zones was three times less than the pedestrian death rate in 30 mile an hour zones. You know, sometimes people think, well, well, it's five miles an hour. What difference does it make? Well, I don't want to be hit by either of those cars, whether they're going 25 or 30, you know, but it does make uh, a huge difference uh, statistically. And we need to remind ourselves statistics in this case are people. Anyway, I, I included that piece of data on my sheet and uh, made my presentation to the uh, Transportation Committee. You know, what was amazing to me about that is that, that that bit of data, it just struck a chord across the committee. And uh, one of the things that uh, this first time I had ever testified in front of a group like this, so I had no idea, you know, how it was going to go or what was going to happen. But at the end of the hearing, then basically the state's witness comes in. And this is somebody from the State Department of uh, Transportation who's a a transportation engineer. And so I wanted to know, what is this person going to say? Well, he gets up before the committee and he said, we only need to listen to the guy from Nebraska and get this thing out of committee and onto the floor. There you go. Well, three months later, it was signed into law by the governor. And what it allowed uh, communities to do is to easily reduce their speed limits. Now, there are specifications because people worry about, okay, like here in Omaha, you might take a, a maple uh, you know, Maple Avenue or something. It's like, well, you can't do that on Maple. It's 45 miles an hour. You know, they're going to want to reduce this. It's like, no. It specified, you know, what constitutes a residential street, how wide it is and all of that. So uh, it was very specific about what kind of streets this could be done on. But I ended up working with the city of Capel, uh, Texas, which is uh, over by uh, Arlington, Fort Worth. And because uh, they once that legislation went through, they said, we want to reduce our we want to lower our speed limit. And so I ended up going down and, and working with a committee that they had put together. And uh, one of the wonderful things is, and I invite you to go to our website and uh, look at the testimonials because the number one testimonial uh, comes from a transportation engineer with the Texas A&M Transportation Institute who is on that committee. 
and uh, was not really fond of the idea of lowering the limits. But uh, he wrote a testimonial that came that he sent to me a year after they initiated the change. And his testimonial really talks about how his behavior changed and wow. how he really was. I mean, to me, it's almost like a conversion story. It is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because then he and we've had this on our website ever since. He mm-hmm. said, you can use this however you want to use it. Mm-hmm. And also I figure, well, we need to let people know that people's behavior really does change. And here's somebody who was a a traffic engineer that really didn't see the wisdom in doing this because uh, viewing uh, streets as being um, uh, a way to most efficiently and um, quickly move people from point A to point B with as few obstacles as possible, Mm -hmm. you know, and all of a sudden you're going to lower the limit on one of those streets or many of those streets and all. But uh, part of his focus of his testimonial was that recognizing that you know, streets are not simply for uh, people in cars, but there are people who are biking and pedestrians and we need to consider the whole picture. And uh, I think that, you know, oftentimes when uh, we're driving, you know, we may be thinking about ourselves or the people in our car, but we really need to think about the human beings around us as well. Yes. Yeah. And it's such an, a simple concept, but again, easy, an easy one to forget mm-hmm. as you're going about your daily life. Interesting the way you were able to kind of make a traffic engineer aware of that. Well, and, and it was unbeknownst to me because honestly, in working with the city, uh, he, he never brought it up. Not yeah. while I was there. Wow. And <laughs> also you know, I had no idea. I just thought, well, he's a great guy, you know, yeah. and everything. And, and I'm sure he is, you know, yeah. it's just, but I, I had no inkling that there was any resistance in the community to this because they you know, from the mayor on down, they were, they were committed. Their traffic engineer was committed. There were, uh, in fact, I ended up doing a uh, presentation at Texas A&M with the uh, traffic engineer once they instituted this. And instead of starting with statistics, he presented at the beginning of his presentation, he said to the other engineers who were assembled, he says, well, I need to let you know why I wanted to do this in Capel. And they put up, a picture of his two grandchildren. Oh, wow. It was all about people. Yeah. You know, and to me, uh, what Keep Kids Alive is all about, it's all about preserving relationships. You know, that we all come home to somebody, somebody comes home to us. We want those relationships to be preserved. And one of the things that I thought about a lot about over the years is simply that at the heart of every good traffic law is preserving lives, mm-hmm. not saving lives, but preserving lives. Cause if we're in a life-saving situation, to me, that means that some, something tragic already happened and you're trying to sustain life that might be lost otherwise. But you know, if uh, through our behaviors on and around roadways, uh, we really act in ways that help preserve our own lives and the lives of people around us, you know, that's what really has an effect. Uh, it's not, not something we probably think about much every day, but in fact, our behaviors really do make a difference. Now, you've described several communities already that you've seen kind of take up the mission. Mm-hmm. What's it been like to be part of that and see more and more join? Well, you know, to me, uh, there's, there's a kind of a coaching aspect of this. Yeah. I mean, it's like being a coach and you, I mean, you, you share information, you help mobilize people, but they're the ones who go out and do it, yeah. you know? And that's to me where, um, you know, the word joy comes to mind in terms of, of there's a certain joy attached to seeing people take ownership in their own community and, uh, you know, to help create environments that are uh, helping people to be safe on and along roadways and, uh, and realizing that they're the ones who are doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that I'm physically there and doing all of this, uh, this work and making all of these connections on the local level to make that happen. But with the resource information that we have on our website that people can easily download and share and email to each other, uh, that gives uh, them uh, some of the foundational pieces to be able to look at, well, what could we do in our community? And I think, you know, one of the joys of it too is seeing the variety of ways that communities implement. Because I've worked with over 1,700 communities uh, representing 49 states so far and as far away as Queensland State, Australia. But to a community, I think every community is unique. Mm 
in terms of the way that they implement. And that's fine because to me, it's having a sense of local ownership. Right. Uh, you know, you know, for somebody to actually know that there's an organization called Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 or that it it is headquartered in Omaha, Nebraska, um, that's really incidental because I really don't, I'm really not too worried about whether somebody is thinking about that if they're in Houston, Texas, or they're in Exeter, Pennsylvania, you know, or uh, Laurel, uh, Laurel, Maryland, or uh, Roseville, California, or you know, I'm just thinking of some of the communities around the country that we worked with. But, yeah. uh, uh, but if they have a sense that this is what we're about locally, that's what makes the difference. How has raising awareness for this message uh, changed or even stayed the same over the years? Well, it certainly hasn't changed, stayed the same because I did not own a cell phone when we started this. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, just, just, if we just take that one object, yeah. you know, the cell phone, uh, I mean, to me, that has changed things. Um, and I can't say that I, that has changed things for the better in a right. lot of ways, because you know, in, in some instances, we might be able to look at uh, uh, death rates going down from some other behaviors, but not from distracted driving. Right. You know, and so uh, we have a distracted driving uh, um, initiative is called uh, Phone Down, Eyes Up. And uh, it really is predicated on a couple of pieces of research, um, one from the University of Rhode Island and one from uh, uh, University of Utah. And uh, what these two pieces of research showed are, are uh, well, there are two things is <laughs> one is that when somebody's on a cellular device, even if it's hands free, uh -huh. that we lose use of our peripheral vision. OK, that we only look straight ahead. I, I guess I'm into experimentation, you know, but yeah. when I heard this piece of research, it's like, OK, I want to know if it's true or not. Right. So Test this it. comes back to, I said running was important. So, <laughs> so I was out running one morning. This was several years ago after I had heard this research and I was running along uh, busy street here in uh, Omaha and I was on the sidewalk. I was not in the street, but anyway, it was eight o'clock in the morning and traffic wasn't traveling quickly. But what I was noticing were people who were on their cell phones. Okay. And so every time I saw somebody on their cell phone, I would go on to the, um, the right of way. I'm not in the street. I'm on the right of way, the area between the curb and the sidewalk. And I would just wave at people. I just waved at everybody who was on a cell phone. I did this about 30 times and I had no response from anyone. I mean, nobody moved their head. I mean, they... To me, they literally they did not know I was there. Wow! You know, because they were so focused on their conversation and looking straight ahead. Yeah. So they had lost sight of what was going on around them, and the research showed that, that was true whether somebody was on a hands-free device or on a handheld device. So uh, that held true. Then the other study showed that people's reaction time when on a cellular device slows to somebody who's 0.09 under the influence, which would be legally drunk. So you don't have to have a drink to have your, your reflex action slow down uh, that, that much. And so uh, obviously if something surprising comes into our field of vision, given that we have a field of vision, uh, reaction time matters a whole lot. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, those, just those two little tidbits. And again, you know, to me, it comes back to, to people, you know, I mean, I, I do not use my cell, cell phone when I'm driving in any way, shape or form. And, uh, and the reason is, I mean, part of it is self-preservation. And I know I think my life's worth preserving, but you know, the other piece of it is who, whoever may be in the vehicle with me and people who are around me, who most of these people we've never met yeah. and all, but I think their families love them as much as I love my family and hopefully my family loves me. Right. So, <laughs> Wow. But that's um, just one example of, of, uh, an initiative that's grown out of this. In addition to our we have an initiative called Stop, Take Three to See, because one of the things I learned was that that uh, almost 90% of people do not correctly stop at stop signs. This was a study that was done through Safe Kids International in concert with uh, FedEx that showed that a little over 89% of drivers did not correctly stop at stop signs while they did this study, it, meaning that they came to a complete stop. And so they, they look left, they look right, they look left again. So we started an initiative called Stop, Take Three to See which just is about how you stop at a stop sign. 
but it also doubles as a way to teach kids how to cross the street safely sure. because it's the same process of coming to a stop, looking left, looking right, looking left again. So, uh, you know, that's, that's been a, a very helpful little educational tool uh, that has grown out of this. But also we have an initiative called It's Not a Race, Create Space, which has to do with space management. And um, I think the the standard these days is that you're supposed to leave, uh, you're supposed to, you're supposed to be able to leave three to four seconds of space between you and the vehicle in front of you. And you can look at a fixed object and see how long it takes you to get there. And that lets you know whether you're, you're in that uh, range or not. But we started that as a result of, um, I met uh, Michelle Davis, uh, um, she's Michelle Jarvie now, but lives in Minnesota. But I met her a month after her husband died. Um, he was hit and uh, killed as a result of being hit from behind when he mm. slowed down coming into a construction zone and oh. the person behind him didn't. Oh, no. And uh, so uh, when I met Michelle, I, I had had this idea for this, but I'm like, we need to implement this because uh, one of the things I learned is that 29% of um, injury crashes are the result of poor space management. That's a lot of crashes. Yeah. And, you know, mostly because people are following too close and all. And then if you couple that with other behaviors, if somebody's on their cell phone or, I mean, you've got a formula for something bad to happen. So, you know, that's another initiative that came out of that. And we had actually had a trucking company up in uh, Fremont, Nebraska, that put our logo for that on the back of their trailers. And uh, I actually came across one of those trailers in uh, Los Angeles, California, when oh. I was out there one time. So I, I have to admit, I, I parked <laughs> and I took a picture. Awesome. You know, it, was, it was a park trailer uh -huh. uh, and all, but, uh, but it's um, out there on the road. Yeah, but it was nice. You know, could take it all over highways right. all over the country. So, you know, that's another example of an initiative that we started. And then uh, we have a seatbelt initiative called seatbelts fascinating, a little play on words. Clever. But yeah. But the thing is, is that if you take the state of Nebraska, where we're based uh, last year, 2000, uh, 2019, 249 people died on Nebraska roadways. 67% of them were not buckled up. That's too and, high. Yeah. I mean, and just for the lack of two and five eighths inch of fabric, you know, people are dying. And so you know, a lot of times people are like, well, don't infringe on my freedom you know, by, by having a law that I should be buckled up. But again, any good law is about preserving lives. Mm -hmm. You know, how many of those people would have been able to come back to their family and their family would have uh, been able to welcome them home if they had just buckled up and all. And so uh, that's what seatbelts fascinating is all about. Uh, seatbelts fascinating caused me to ask two questions and I would apply these to a, a lot of behaviors. Uh, who do you love and who loves you? You know, because to me, the, our answers to those questions are the best reasons to buckle up. They're the best reasons to put our cell phones aside. They're the best reasons to stop at stop signs. They're the best reason to uh, observe the speed limit and go slower based on weather conditions. Or if you see kids playing in the neighborhood, yeah. uh, it's, it's all about relationships and all. And I think that those two questions, who do you love and who loves you, it helps put things in perspective because... Yeah, we could pass a million laws, but, you know, if, if the laws are not personalized in such a way that it actually matters in terms of our relationships, then, well, what's, what's really going to be the motivation? Right. You know, I mean, a lot of times people, they don't buckle up or something because like, well, I've never even pulled over for buckling up. So the law isn't necessarily a great enough motivator to do that. But that's why to me, we need to bring things down to relational level in terms of, you know, who matters to me and who do I matter to? Yeah. It makes it relatable. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So you've mentioned a few folks who've reached out to you over the years mm -hmm. and basically you've met numerous families all over the country who've reached out to start initiatives in memory of a loved one. Mm -hmm. Tell me what it's been like to help these families. Well, uh, I'm not sure if I've helped them or if they've just inspired me mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, I've, I've met dozens and dozens of families whose loved ones have died in traffic incidents who connected with us because of, of the death of their loved one. And in some case, multiple loved ones who died in the same crash. And, uh, but many of them have started initiatives, whether it's a foundation that focuses in on, uh, uh, 
distracted driving, like the Connor Lynch Foundation in in uh, California. Uh, and Jerry Lynch, uh, Connor's mom, does work all over the world this way. I mean, it's just amazing um, the the love and energy that goes into um, the missions. You know, I think of uh, uh, the um, Johnsons in New Mexico, who I met when they lived in Colorado, uh, when they started Alexis Hugs. Uh, their daughter died because of uh, a crash that she was involved with where uh, she was going at a high rate of speed. Uh, she didn't have her seatbelt on. And I mean, she was ejected from the car and thrown over the length of a football field. But uh, Tad, um, uh, Alexa's dad, when I met him, uh, and I realized this is a podcast, you can't physically see me do this. But he said, you know, one of the things that we were talking about that we miss was Alexa's hugs. And then he he made this motion like this, where he's kind of hugging his stomach and putting his uh, right arm across his heart. And he said, but what is a seatbelt but a hug? Oh. And so they created this foundation, uh, Alexa's Hugs, that has done work with high schools throughout Colorado and, and New Mexico uh, in working with teenagers to focus on the reasons why we uh, uh, we buckle up, and it's called Alexis Hugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, uh, families like that. I mean, it's just so gratifying to to see the the good that they're doing. And if I think, you know, here locally in Omaha, the uh, uh, Katie Ann Reynolds Foundation, the Car Foundation that uh, Rob and Sherry Reynolds uh, started in uh, honor and memory of their daughter, and uh, Rob has gone out and spoken to you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, uh, high school uh, students and, uh, you know, really reached out to embrace them. And to me, as an extension of their own family, you know, that we're all connected this way. When a tragedy happens in a community, it's not simply felt, it is certainly is felt in the most heartfelt of all ways by those uh, immediate family members. But the ripple effect among uh, schoolmates and um, business associates and yeah. neighbors and all sorts of folks. I mean, people who are just watching the news and then are affected by seeing what happens. So it is, it's inspiring to see the, the work that, uh, uh, that these families carry out. But a couple of things, you know, related to that, that uh, have, uh, uh, were born out of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 in response uh, to all these families connecting with us is locally we started a 5k run walk that um is it it's it's called our keep kids alive drive 25 uh, live forward 5k run walk uh, we're doing it for the ninth year this year scott high school has been our our partner all of those years they donate their facilities to us so that we have a track that we can start and end on we have bathroom facilities and parking you know the essentials are nice but it helps to bring families together to remember their loved ones in a particular way. Because what we do locally is uh, every family that forms a team, they can pick the color of their shirts. uh, They can create a team name and it makes it something that personalizes it. But then again, we're coming together with many families at a time and it gives a chance for families to connect with each other. And uh, kind of those informal support networks, sometimes uh, those can just work wonders to be able to, uh, to share something that, uh, it's not something that anybody wanted to have in common with anybody else. But we do that here locally once a year. But then we have a big event out in Colorado that uh, is on Pikes Peak. We have a team of runners. Uh, running is a thread through this for me. Is, uh, yeah. um, but we have a team of runners that since 2007 has have run the Pikes Peak Ascent Trail Race. Uh, and in some case, the Pikes Peak Marathon running up and down Pikes Peak, wow. which are certified trail races. These are not things that we invented, you know, but we decided to participate in, but all of our runners wear shirts that carry the names of all the loved ones whose families have connected with us throughout the years. And so we carry them with us and they really carry us uh, up the mountain. And we've been doing that since 2007. And in 2012 was a critical juncture for us uh, because uh, up until that time, it had just been some of my family members, uh, my sons and my brother out in uh, St. Louis and my brother in Colorado Springs that had run. And I kept inviting people to run with us, but we weren't getting much traction. But uh, in 2012, uh, uh, Russ Lloyd, who lives here at Omaha, his daughter, uh, 
Shannon uh, died uh, as a result of being hit in 2001, right in front of their own home. 2012 would have been Shannon's graduation year from high school. And so I had invited Russ to run with us several times. Uh, and Russ, if you're listening to this, yeah. <laughs> but 2012 was real pivotal because he felt like he needed to do something to honor Shannon in the year that she would have graduated high school. And so he decided to join our running team. And so he became the first non-Everson running the Pikes Peak Ascent Trail Race with our Live Forward team. This will mark Russ's ninth year of running with us. Wow. Uh, I mean, this has become part of what he does uh-huh. and all. But it was real pivotal for us because uh, it, it was he, theirs was the first family that came out to Colorado. Yeah. And the next year, uh, our friends, uh, Tad and Jonah, Alexa's parents, that's the year that we met them. Alexa died in February of 2013. And they asked if they could come out, but they weren't runners. They lived in Loveland, Colorado. And they said, we're not runners. We're not going to run. And I was like, that's fine. But they said, can we just go up to the summit of Pikes Peak and meet you? And so we got them a hotel room and they met us at the summit and we all went to dinner afterwards and had a wonderful conversation. But uh, uh, when Tad got home, he wrote me a letter and he asked if I would send the letter to all of the families who were on our e-list who had had loved ones die in traffic incidents. And the letter in essence uh, uh, told what a great time they had had on Pike's Peak. And it was really kind of magical, you know, and uh, it just was very meaningful to their family. And what they did in the letter is they asked the other families to come on out to Pikes Peak. Come out here. Experience it. Yes. Well, the next year, so I did, I sent it out. And the next year we had six families come out, 24 family members, and they had a great time on the mountain. And we did a bigger dinner (laughs) and all, but uh, the next year we had 43 family members come out. Well, the next year we had like 85. I mean, it was just, it was almost getting out of control Uh because one of the things that we do, I kind of describe uh, the Pikes Peak weekend as as being kind of a reverse make-a-wish because none of the family members could do that one last thing that they would have liked to have done with their loved one, which is what make-a-wish allows you to do. But what this is about is for the families to come to a beautiful place to share stories, to make memories and create their own little informal support network in that weekend. And we've seen that happen time and time again. And our running team has grown tremendously too, because we have quite a few family members from these families who have run with us over the years. And so last year we had 33 people who ran with us. And uh, uh, this year, I think we're, we're up to 19 or 20 and all, but we'll do it again this year. But we have families from all over the country. We'll have our first families from uh, New Jersey come this year. We've had families from Michigan, from Wisconsin, from Minnesota, from Idaho, from um, Nevada, from California, uh, from Iowa, from Missouri, from Illinois, uh, and from here in Nebraska as well, and from North Dakota. I got to remember that, and from uh, and from here in Nebraska as well. It sounds like it's such a powerful connection for this group too, though. And I mean, it's not necessarily a club that you want to be in, but the fact that they have each other and can share that experience sounds very important. Well, I think, you know, one of our local families, Beth Norris, uh, who's uh, uh, she's run with us three times in honor of her son, Nate. And uh, I'm paraphrasing her at best. So I apologize, Beth, if, uh, (laughs) but you know, uh, Beth said the wonderful thing about coming out to Pikes Peak is that you don't have to share your whole story. They just get it. They know why you're there. And there's, there's just this bond that families have. Now, honestly, families do share their stories and, you know, we, we do a meet and greet so that they have a chance to share a little bit to start out about why they are here and who their loved one is. And, uh, I won't give all the secrets away because we do some pretty special things, I think with, uh, uh, photographs and, uh, shirts and things like that, that, uh, are, are part of our weekend. But, but it's very gratifying because it, the way that it's evolved now is, is we have a very, uh, formal dinner. Uh, on Saturday night when everybody's off the mountain. And it is a blast. I mean, people are laughing and sharing stories and 
you know, if the dinner lasts, if it were, if the dinner ends at nine, they're there at 10, still around the tables and talking. And it's just so good to be able to, uh, to just lean against the wall and watch it because, uh, you know, one of my favorite pieces of feedback was a mom back in 2014 who said at the end of the weekend, she said, you know, I can't remember the last time I had fun. Mm. And she said, I had fun this weekend. And I like that, that has to get you, you know, mm-hmm. cause uh, it was just good that, that she was there right? and, uh, and could be with all those other families as well. What has kept you motivated most of all through all these years and, and keeping roads safer? Well, uh, I don't know if you could tell from this uh, interview or not, I'm, I'm a people person, you know? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I really, it's the people that I've met along the way that really uh, uh, keep my passion, uh, you know, going and flowing. And uh, because, uh, you know, it's, I feel like when, when, uh, when I think of all the people that I've had a chance to work with in communities that have started proactive initiatives, to me, they're just the best people wherever they live. Mm-hmm. They, they care about their community. They're willing to do something to, um, to address a concern in the community, to make the community better. They're just the best people, you know, and, and to me, if you can't be energized by being around the best people, you know, but two, um, a lot of these best people are these families that have connected with us uh, throughout the years because they are absolutely uh, insp- inspiring. Uh, when we started Live Forward, uh, Live Forward is all about supporting families and bringing good into the world in honor of their loved ones. And these are people who do this, you know, they do it throughout the, 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 uh, they do it throughout the years. They do it throughout the tears. I mean, they, they really make something, uh, positive, uh, as a, a legacy, uh, to their loved one. And, uh, I, you know, that's, you know, I, I keep coming back to the word inspiration, but they, they certainly are inspiration to me because, having connected with people like this uh, has really driven me, whether we've been in an up or down cycle in terms of, uh, you know, for example, funding, you Mm -hmm. go back to 2008 when everything collapsed with the economy. And I'm sure there are people listening who uh, are either run nonprofits or connected with nonprofits. And they know that was a really, really tough time to get through and all, but um, you know, but throughout times like that, where maybe we didn't have the, uh, um, you know, financial support that we could have used the inspiration to keep going were these people, you know, because, um, the need is still there, you know, because even though we are 21 years old, one of the ways that I like to look at our growth was, uh, when we were young and maybe some, maybe we were three years old and people said, well, do you think you could have accomplished more in three years? And I said, well, I don't know. What were you doing when you were three years old? <laughs> I said, I said, we're three years old. You know, we've done what we could in three years and, you know, four years old, five years old, when we, uh, when we entered adolescence, you know, maybe it was a little stormy time, you know, <laughs> there are challenges that come along, you know, but we turned 21 this past year. So I guess we're legal, but I kind of remind ourselves that the brain research shows that our brains are not fully developed till we're 25 years old. So we probably have a few things to learn uh, in the next uh, several years uh, as it goes. Where do you see Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 in 20 more years? Well, I, uh, you know, I don't know how directly I'll be involved in it. Uh, I'll be in my eighties by then, uh, and all, but, uh, I certainly would hope that I still have the passion. Um, you know, I, I imagine there'll be a lot of changes, you know, because, you know, probably the next 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to see more of the, uh, um, the use of, uh, you know, automated vehicles and, uh-huh. and all of that. And so that's certainly going to change the lay of the land. Uh, have no idea, you know, what, what will come out of all of that uh, and all, but those, uh, uh, you know, there'll be new challenges that come along. Uh, But in the present, I mean, we just look at, um, we look at some of the concerns. I mean, for example, I've, I've served on the mayor's uh, uh, vision zero task force here in Omaha and in serving in that capacity you know, recognizing, you know, why are people dying on the streets right in our own city? Right. You know, and we look at, at speed is always a factor, but, uh, you know, alcohol is still a factor. Lack of seatbelt use is a factor. Distracted driving is a factor. Motorcycles are overrepresented in traffic deaths. Uh, you know, there continue to be pedestrian uh, death concerns. And, 
and all. And so, uh, and for those who are not familiar, Vision Zero is really a, a international movement to look at how do we reduce traffic deaths to zero. And people might not think that's a realistic goal, but the question I would always ask is, well, you know, who in your family would you say is okay to have die in a traffic incident? You know, if if you would not name somebody who you think it's okay to have die in a traffic incident, then you ought to be on board for Vision Zero. Vision Zero. <laughs> you know, that yeah. we wouldn't want anybody to go through that. But given that statistic uh, uh, that I had shared earlier from um, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration of 94% of traffic deaths being uh, attributed to specific behaviors, when you can hone in on those behaviors, it lets you know what you need to work on. Uh, it's where I like to kind of use uh, uh, sports analogies sometimes is that, uh, you know, usually when somebody goes and plays a sport, regardless of the sport it is, they'll have a preseason practice and then they'll have their first game. And then the coach will probably come back and say, now, these are the things we need to work on <laughs> at all. And so, you know, doing that analysis of why people die or are seriously injured in uh, traffic incidents, uh, it should give us an idea of, okay, what do we need to work on? If we're going to target things specifically, whether it has to do with uh, how infrastructure is designed um, or what kind of behaviors we really need to teach to or educate people about, then uh, uh, that gives us the information that we need to move forward. So I see Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 being intimately involved in that, you know, whether it's here on the local level in our hometown or in communities around the country that we connect with as well. Just to wrap things up, let's talk about why we're here. Let's talk about the Keep Kids Alive podcast. Okay. Um, what will this podcast be about in f- future episodes? What's the purpose and what can listeners expect? Well, uh, we want to be about stories because I think stories is what engage all of us in life and that we all have a story. And so, uh, folks that, uh, I'll be interviewing, uh, in the future, uh, now that I've got a chance to tell my story, right. <laughs> um, we'll be sharing their story. Uh, for example, uh, in March, uh, we'll have, um, Lisa White and, uh, Christy Nielsen. Uh, Lisa is Tristan's mom. Uh, Tristan, uh, was hit, uh, by a speeding vehicle when he was out, uh, running a wrestling practice over in a town called Trainer, Iowa. Uh, back in 2014. And uh, uh, he died as a result of his injuries. But I came to know their family as a result of Tristan's death. And uh, uh, both Lisa and uh, Christy, who are sisters, uh, their sister, uh, their sister Sherry died in a traffic incident back in when they were in high school and all. And so, you know, this is very personal for them on, on many levels. But there's a huge project that has been going on for four years now in trainer, uh, that has grown out of this, uh, as really the community has lived forward together. And so I'm not going to give anything more than that away, but, uh, is stories, uh, from, uh, folks like that. And, uh, I'll undoubtedly invite, uh, other people who have uh, set up, uh, foundations and, uh, educational entities that, uh, address different areas of, uh, concern when it comes to traffic safety. Uh, but then also we may be inviting, you know, guests in who it's their vocation to work on uh, uh, pedestrian safety or cycling safety uh, or from a professional capacity, uh, laying out lanes of traffic and building sidewalks and inf- the infrastructure that goes into creating uh, a community where we recognize that we get around in multiple ways. Right. And also, uh, th- there are plenty of stories to tell out there and we look forward to inviting people in to share those. And hopefully those will resonate with people uh, wherever you live. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great preview for why you should keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. How does one get involved? Well, uh, the easiest way to get involved is uh, log on to, on your computer and go to keep kids alive, drive 25.org. And a short version of keep kids alive, drive 25.org is K K A D two five.org. Just short for keep kids alive, drive 25.org. we've got loads of uh, information uh, on our website. Uh, there are some uh, video PSAs. You can email me off of uh, the website. 
Uh, and I can provide additional information for you as to how you can uh, mobilize locally. Um, so that's the place to get started. And I figure you'll probably find more than enough to get started on our website and, um, any ensuing, uh, you know, email back and forth or phone conversations, uh, that will just add to it all. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you all for listening. And again, like you mentioned, please visit kkad25.org to find out how you can support Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 and get involved by following on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, it's about kids. It's about safety. It's about caring. It's about time. It's about time.